Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to The Real Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Max Gershberg. On October 11th, John Gruden resigned as coach of the Las Vegas Raiders amidst a storm of public backlash after the New York Times and Wall Street Journal brought to light old Gruden emails that included racist, misogynistic, and homophobic language. While much of the coverage in the last couple weeks has centered around Gruden, this story runs much deeper because Gruden's emails were just a small sliver of the approximately 650,000 that the NFL reviewed in the course of investigating misconduct within the Washington football team organization. To date, the overall findings of that investigation have been kept secret, leaving many questions unanswered. How Gruden's emails leaked in the manner and at the time they did, why the NFL has kept the Washington investigation under lock and key, and whether there may be more shocking discoveries to come if additional contents do ever see the light of day. In search of some answers, on this podcast, we're going to be doing something a little different. Rather than hear a typical real sports report, we'll be bringing you a pair of discussions that touch on the continuing fallout from these emails. First, an interview that aired on this week's new episode of Real Sports between Bryant Gumbel and NFL Players Association chief Demaurice Smith. Smith is not only one of the game's most influential power brokers, he was the subject of Gruden's racist language in the first publicly reported email that initially set off this firestorm two weeks ago. And he joined Brian Gumble for his first interview since. Then I'll be talking with our correspondent, Andrea Kramer. Andrea recently spent time in Vegas reporting a story for Real Sports on Mark Davis, giving her unique insight into the dynamics of that franchise and how they may have influenced the Raiders' response to all of this. We'll also get her thoughts on this Washington football team investigation. All that to come. But first, here's Bryant Gumble with Demaurice Smith. D. Smith, good evening. Brian, good evening. Great to join you. You've um, known, spoken with John Gruden over the years. Um, when you first saw it, shock you, surprise you? Uh, I would say it's, um, uh, you know, first of all, I would say it was more shocking that uh, a group of people apparently in an email conversation felt that it was comfortable enough to um, engage in a conversation like that, that, you know, certainly, um, you know, denigrated uh, me and, and people who look like me, but also uh, the later re revelations about you know what those conversations included. Um, shocked to to see it, um, but I'm not naive enough to believe that there aren't people out right. there who are doing this. Right. I, I saw where you said you felt a, a certain amount of um, of numbness um, from it on on a personal level. I'm not going to repeat what he said. How much right. did it hurt? Uh, it hurt me that my family had to see this, 
you know, there's always this need to somehow reduce you to something less uh, than you are. What's your response to those who, who decry Gruden's racial slurs, but contend that there are very few of us who could withstand the scrutiny of checking our emails over the past 10 years? What do you say to that? <laughs> well, you and I have had great conversations about this because I know that, that you were dealing with it long before I was. Um, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a hypocrisy to say on one hand, you know, this is horrible, but then on the, the, the other hand say, well, you know, um, I think it's great that you're tough enough to withstand it. Um, the, the measure of us and the, and the better angels of our nature isn't whether you or I are tough enough to withstand it. It's whether or not um, we can actually rise above and continue to improve uh, upon America's racist and, and, and sexist past. Yeah, I, I'm, right? I'm, I, I'm not eager to, to minimize what Gruden did, but the bigger issue is the idea that he felt comfortable saying what he did in the forum in which he said it. That's it. That's it. And, and to me, the, 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 the next iteration of, of that conversation is he felt comfortable enough to say it with uh, the people that he was on the email uh, chain with. And, and to this day, I mean, I, I only know one other person who was on that email chain. Uh, I think, Brian, there were two other people who have yet to be identified on that email chain. But the next step of that is, of course, the people who um, defended him or uh, gave him a pass on Sunday who look more like us than like him. Right. You're speaking specifically of broadcasters of color who basically um, apologized for John Gruden and gave him a pass. Broadcasters. Well, and, and and again, it, it's abhorrent to think that a group of people are on that email chain being comfortable saying that. It's equally abhorrent to me to, to see a group of people defend it knowing that they live in this legacy of America's past. They live in this hope of America's future. We, we can't be truly hopeful when those people continue to excuse or apologize for Well, there, there are all sorts of troubling things about this, not the least of which is that um, these emails weren't new. Um, the yeah. league has had them and nothing was done about it until the leak. That has to disturb you. That's a problem. Um, I, I love football and I love the game, but we should be aspiring to, a, to the best nature of ourselves and in our sport and in our business. And I don't understand how the, 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 the critical party of that business can be aware of these emails for so long and do nothing about it. There, there are supposedly about 650,000 of these emails relating to the investigation of the Washington football team. You have called for the release of all of them. I don't know who's going to read all of them, but <laughs> to, to what end? I mean, what, what's the purpose? Well, to, to be precise, I'm calling on or we're calling on, and I, and I think the country should call on the release of any information within the league's possession that is evidence of, of racial animus, 
sexism, misogyny, bias, homophobia. Do you really expect them to respond to this cry for the release of this, of this information that shows them to, in a negative light and shows them to be contrary to the public image they're trying to put forth? I think it's okay to have an expectation that we can be better. And the only thing I can do is to um, try to move that needle forward because I believe um, in, in, in what one person told me that while there are a lot of books about the greatest generation, there's very few books about the bravest generation. And, and that brave generation is a group of people over hundreds of years who were forcibly brought to this country, accepted this country as their own, made decisions to raise their family in this country that nonetheless had a racist past. And, and I think that's okay for a group of people like your father and my father uh, before me, that they all have an expectation of an America that lives up to its promise. And, and by the way, just before we go into the next question, uh -huh. the person who told me about the bravest generation, of course, was you. So you're, um, you're kind and generous, and I thank you. These emails are especially problematic because they uh, were uh, written in the main by white males and involve in the main a workforce that is roughly 70% African American. Um, so, how do you view the claim made by some? that these emails suggest what can only be called a plantation mentality. You know me, I stay away from gross generalizations, but um, there are certain people that have, have and have had a plantation mentality um, in this league. I think it would be unfair to sweep everybody up in this, but I, I, I guess my, my point is for the people in this league, and I'm talking primarily of ownership, who believe that this league should be something better, they're going to have an opportunity to match actions to their words. And if they refuse to do that, my message to some of them that I've made and, and now the message to them publicly is your refusal to step up to the plate and demand a, a, an investigation or demand the release of, of any evidence of um, impropriety will speak volumes about whether you indeed um, believe in this, in this racist mentality or this plantation mentality, or, or even worse, whether you believe that the National Football League can be a better part of itself. A couple of notes uh, to let you go on um, real quick. You trust Roger Goodell to do the right thing? Well, um, Roger and I have had... Um, um, a, an interesting relationship um, over time. And, and there are times when, you know, as you know, he and I have gone at it on behalf of our respective members um, in, in brutal fashion. And, and I make no apology for that at all. It's my job. I understand my job. I'm not sure some people understand my job, but I, I understand my job. Um, but there are also times when we have done, I think, some incredible things together, whether it was the approach to, to improving the, the, the health of our, our and safety of our players, to getting through COVID, um, to, to pulling off a successful season uh, uh, last year. And, 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 and my point there is, 
while both of us bring a level of skill to our job, there is a there are aspects of our job that require more than just skill. Um, it, it requires um, a, a dedication and a belief to to something bigger um, than oh, just oh, perhaps money. Okay, so, then, then 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 let me be more blunt. Do you think but, Roger Goodell has the courage to do the right thing? Yes. Yes, and I do. And and do, does that mean that the right thing is going to occur? I don't know because the National Football League um, is is less a corporation than it is um, a feudal or an oligarch system. And the decision, the ultimate decision, I believe, um, about what will happen or the direction. Um, that this league will take will fall to the 32 more than it will fall to the decision of the commissioner. And it'll be interesting to see how each of those 32 respond and whether the majority of them or any of them choose to step up. 100%. Um, final note, when Gruden's email first came out and he was in damage control, he predictably um, called you and left a message. Now that he's disgraced and, and out of a job, um, two questions. Do you think you'll ever speak with him? Do you want to? Um, let me answer it this way. I, I know I don't have to. And um, with respect to whether we will, um, I, I tend to be a person that doesn't hold grudges. I'm sure we'll talk at some point. Dee, it's always a pleasure. Wish you, you well. Too, Thank you. Safe travels. Thank you. Be safe. And I'm now joined by our correspondent, Andrea Kramer. Andrea, it's certainly been a crazy couple weeks in the NFL, and I thank you for coming on to help us try and make sense of it all. Let's start with this. Brian asked the question of DeMaury Smith, and I'll ask it of you. Were you surprised by the contents of John Gruden's emails? Sadly, no. I was not surprised by the content I was surprised that he would be so brazen and bold to actually put that in an email to someone. You know, on a personal level, whether you're a woman, whether you are the only openly gay player in the National Football League, his defensive lineman, Carl Nassib, there, I think there's almost a feeling of betrayal that, wow, you really felt this way and yet these are your actions. And the idea that he was on national television for so long and nobody had any idea that he might have felt this way. Yeah, I think um, I found it to be, truthfully, Max, sickening. Well, I want to ask you about some of the dynamics at play in the Raiders organization. Of course, many of Gruden's emails predated his time there. But for your recent Real Sports profile of Mark Davis, you spent time with Davis and with Gruden as well. How would you describe the relationship between those two men? And do you think that that played a role at all in how the Raiders responded when these emails first came to light? Yeah, look, I think that Mark Davis has pursued John Gruden as a head coach for years. Obviously, to remind folks, Gruden essentially was traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers by Mark's father, Al Davis. Gruden the next year goes on to win the Super Bowl. There was a lot of animus between Gruden and Al Davis, albeit respect. And Mark, in trying to put his own imprimatur on the organization, and really this was the first head coach he was hiring, was absolutely obsessed with Gruden. 
and was going to get him, even if it meant a 10-year, $100 million contract, he, Mark Davis felt that John Gruden was the closest thing to his father, Al Davis. The way that they were obsessed with football, the way that they watched film, the way that they approached the game, a 24-7 mentality. And in, in many ways, I believe that Mark really looked at Gruden as an incarnate of his dad, not to mention it was also part of Mark's M.O. to want to try to heal some of the wounds that his dad left behind, both when it came to rekindling a relationship with someone like John Gruden, as well as really trying to mend some relationships in the league office. So I think that, yes, this all would have played into the fact that even though Mark Davis got these emails, that I don't know that he was ready to immediately pull the plug on Gruden coaching, which I happen to think was a mistake. If nothing else, say, you know what, he's not going to coach this week. We're going to look into it more. And then, of course, by that time, the subsequent emails would have come out, which ultimately led to Gruden's resignation. This is important, though, Max. Speaking of Gruden, Maggie Burbank, who produced the story that we just did on on Mark Davis, she actually called Gruden and he picked up the phone, much to, I think, her surprise. And he's still in Las Vegas. He says he's letting the dust settle. He said, people who know me know what I stand for for 58 years. I have a resume of 58 years. He said, the truth will come out. It's certainly cryptic, but I think that John Gruden is looking at, okay, is this it for my career? Am I done at the age of 58 of being in the National Football League, coaching in any capacity? And, uh, you know, he said he's been called a lot of things in his life, but this is different. This is really different. And no question, because Max, people are calling him a racist, sexist, misogynistic, and homophobic. You noted it earlier, um, and it was referenced in your recent Real Sports piece. Al Davis was also rather infamous for his antagonistic relationship with the league, where Mark seemed determined to take a softer approach, right? Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's softer. He he liked to say sugar, not salt. But there's no question that it was one of the ways that Mark wanted to distinguish his ownership philosophy versus his father. There are tens of millions of dollars of outstanding fines that were due to the league. Mark paid them off pretty much after his dad died and he took over. He really wanted to be more conciliatory with the other owners. But Mark Davis seems to be under the impression that these leaked emails emanated from the NFL office, okay? Listen, in my opinion, and I've spoken to people in the league office, it makes no sense why the NFL would leak this. As I was told, and I quote from a league source, this is, quote, a disaster for the league. And it makes no sense why they would leak this out. There's no benefit. There have been reports that he would be considering some kind of legal action with the release of these emails. It's just pretty ironic considering how he wanted to be totally different than his dad. And what if he turns out to be as litigious as his dad? Mark Davis probably feels as though the Raiders have borne the brunt of an investigation, which we'll talk more about in a moment, that really was supposed to have nothing to do with them. And then there's this lingering question of what of the organization that the probe was supposed to center upon? Uh, where do we stand with regard to that kind of elephant in the room? Okay, well, 
just imagine this. If I said to you, hey, you know, Max, the uh, Washington football team has been investigated for a toxic workplace culture. And oh, by the way, John Gruden lost his job. You'd been sort of like, what? What do these have to do with one another? Daniel Snyder was fined $10 million and ostensibly has stepped away and let his wife run the club, which to use the term of somebody at the league office, that's fiction. The idea that Tanya Snyder is running the club. However, Mark Davis has been severely impacted. And I'm not defending Mark Davis. I'm just pointing out a fact here. Dan Snyder, the Washington football team, continues on. And there are certainly major consequences for another one of the franchises. One of the executives that I spoke with at the league said to me, Roger Goodell has been unusually absent, remarkably absent through this. We haven't heard from Roger Goodell. You got to remember, Max, the league office, Roger Goodell, they work for 32 teams, 31 owners plus the public ownership of the Green Bay Packers. So there's this notion I think this um, this is a point that, that needs to be made. The league is very selective. They turn a blind eye to ownership, owner transgressions off the field. It's just, just that simple. What do I mean by that? Well, remember Spygate, remember Deflategate, remember things of that, of that nature? Okay, there was a 243-page report on Tom Brady deflating footballs, a 144-page report on Richie Incognito's harassing his teammate, then-teammate Jonathan Martin, and a 96-page report on Ray Rice's domestic violence cases. Those are all against players. But anything that has to do with owner transgressions off the field, very, very quiet. And, uh... Andrea, to reframe all of this for our listeners, this this Washington football team investigation, Beth Wilkinson did an investigation for the NFL. She interviewed hundreds of people. It all originated from women who were alleging toxic culture, sexual harassment, all sorts of misconduct within the Washington organization. And when it came time for them to kind of summarize their findings, put them together, it all was behind this curtain. Could you tell us what you know about how the findings were aggregated, how they were presented to people within the league, and why we haven't heard a peep about what was discovered in the course of the investigation. Absolutely. So Beth Wilkinson, who is a highly respected attorney in Washington, D.C., provided an oral report to the NFL owners. Nothing was put down in paper. I talked mentioned about the long reports that have been done for Ray Rice and for Tom Brady's deflating football. No, this was completely delivered orally. And when I asked somebody at the league office why that was the case, they said, quote, we have no faith in our ability to keep stuff in house. So they're thinking if anything is put in paper, that it's going to get forwarded to the media. It's going to get forwarded publicly. Okay. So that's what the league says. They also say, the league also says they didn't produce a written report because they wanted to preserve the anonymity of the witnesses. But there's been about 20 Washington football team victims who claim that as far back as February, they were told by investigators that the report wouldn't even contain any identifying information. And Max, the victims went so far as to write a letter in February saying they wanted the report made public 
to preempt the NFL from claiming a report couldn't be released for privacy reasons. And we have spoken, uh, Katie Malone and I did a deep dive story on this a few months ago for Real Sports. And uh, and one of the things that we found is the victims that we spoke to felt very strongly that the NFL could have found a way to summarize the most sensitive claims without revealing identities while preserving the anonymity of some of the victims. So if I understand you correctly, the league is saying kind of unequivocally, we can't make any of this public because we have to protect the alleged victims. And the alleged victims are saying, no, please be our guest withhold our names, but tell the public what you found. Is that is that right? Right, because who does the league typically want to protect, Max? The league typically wants to protect its owners. It's that simple. That is what they typically want to do. I think what's going to be interesting looking as this whole thing moves forward is that just recently, some of the victims of the Washington football team that were noted in this investigation wrote a letter to NFL corporate sponsors like Nike, Verizon, Amazon, Procter & Gamble, Anheuser-Busch, Pepsi, asking them to push the NFL to make the investigation public, to make some sort of summary public. And let's remind the audience also that this happens to be the strategy that was used and ultimately helped build the public pressure around the Washington football team to change its name. And you've been speaking to folks within the league. Uh, Do you have any sense as to whether the NFL may change its tune and provide some semblance of transparency regarding those other 650,000 emails or just uh, a summation of what they found in investigating the Washington football team? Yeah. So the people that I spoke with at the league office said, listen, as for the 650,000 emails, okay, they said, think about whether you're working for Warner Media or whether you're working for Amazon, uh, you know, those are these are internal working emails. No business would allow that. However, there are definitely people who feel that there should be more transparency with these 650,000 emails, because at this point, certainly a number of people in the media, the Wall Street Journal and New York Times has already had success in terms of getting these emails. What's going to preclude whoever leaked them from leaking them again? I would expect, I think this is one of these stories that is going to have life. I don't think it's going to go away as much as the NFL wants all the attention to be on the action on the field. And I think that we could definitely see uh, a lot more information coming out. Well, Andrea, we will certainly continue to keep our eyes on this evolving story. And thank you again for, for joining us to talk about it. All right, Max, thank you so much for having me. And the discussion of these NFL emails was just part of this month's new episode of Real Sports. Also on the show, for the first time in the history of the NCAA, college athletes can legally make money and a modern day gold rush is on. John Frankel's latest piece looks at what's happened since the overnight birth of the name, image and likeness marketplace. David Scott brings us a story on some of the tallest men in the world and how their height alone can greatly improve their chances of making fame and fortune in the NBA. But while extraordinary height can put the NBA within reach, it also makes their lives off the court a daily struggle. And Soledad O'Brien revisits her 2015 story about a special summer camp program that teaches blind children how to participate in sports. You can catch all those stories and all recent episodes of Real Sports with Brian Gumbel on HBO Max. I'm your host, Max Gershberg. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next time.